good to be with you all. I, uh, I need to gather with God's people and just recenter myself every single week. Amen. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here at Generations Church. Um, and we just want to get to know you and your story. Uh, we hope that we build enough trust with you so that you can feel like you can share your story because your story matters Amen. and you matter to God. And we want that to be conveyed to you, um, not just from the stage um, or in moments on Sunday, but try to live that out throughout the week. And so I know Richard mentioned the gen cards. That's one of the tools we use to help facilitate that. But really, we hope that as we journey through life together, that those masks that Charles mentioned don't just have to maybe come off on Sunday, but they can actually like come off and stay off because you've built enough trust with people that you can do life with that when those moments on a Tuesday morning or a Thursday night and just something hits the fan and it just like, I just need someone to go to, you're not in a panic to say, who do I go to? Who do I share this with? That you've got people who you can lean on and trust that will also give you the type of advice and support that will give you the space to breathe, to grieve, to lament, but then also see you through and say, hey, let's take that next step together. And that is the power of a church community, learning to live life together. And so as we come to these moments, as I prepare to uh, teach through the series uh, again, as, as we take this next step in our series, I just want us to just, as we took a moment of silence, just to recenter ourselves again. Um, some of you maybe have been very caught up to speed, and you're like, man, I know this is a place where it's like I can just start to process some of my weak and some of my wounds. For some of you, I also know that you're, you're very on edge. Um, when you step into a space like this, it's can be intimidating, and you're like, man, Charles took us there, and he took us there quick, and I'm not sure I'm ready to go there yet. That's okay. But it's a beautiful and good thing. Um, and so let's just take a moment, if we will, and let me pray and just center ourselves again this morning. God, you are good, and I just want to take a moment here to just center whether we think you are there or not would you just speak to us through a whisper through a nudge maybe through my words or the words of someone else Lord, this morning as I talk about your word, may the meditation of my heart and my words be pleasing in your sight. I surrender this time to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Dostoevsky's novel, uh, The Brothers uh, Karamazov, a wealthy woman asks this elderly monk if she can know that God exists. 
And he tells her no explanation or argument. In fact, if you've got questions like that, here's a sidebar. Like, I'm happy to have those questions with you. Because I think there's, there's plenty, of, plenty of logical evidence out there. Um, and we don't want to presume that you understand or have access to that. So we want to have that conversation. That's part of swapping stories. But sidebar, back to the, the moment. His response, he doesn't give her those arguments. He doesn't give her that explanation of how she can like achieve some sort of knowledge or understanding. His response is that she can understand that God exists through the practice of active love. She then confesses in the conversation that sometimes she dreams about a life of loving service to others, doing this well. At such times, she thinks perhaps she maybe maybe will give her life more to this, like becoming more of the sister of mercy in the novel or live in holy poverty or maybe even just serve this, the poor on a more regular basis. But then as she thinks about this and dreams about this to herself, uh, it crosses her mind how ungrateful some of the people she would serve are likely to be. That they would probably complain that the soup she served wasn't hot enough or that the bread wasn't fresh enough, or that the bed that she provided was too hard. She confesses that she couldn't bear such ingratitude and would become bitter and angry. And so her dreams about serving others vanish. And once again, she finds herself wondering, is there a God? To this, as she shares this, the monk response, love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. Loving well is the goal of the Christian life. It's to first receive love and then be so changed by it that you can't help but respond and love the person who loved you, the God who loved you, and then love others. And this is always easier in our dreams than in practice. And it requires healing and self-integration. It requires us being honest about the compartments in our life that are reserved for certain people or certain things, but not to God or others, and being honest about the inconsistencies in our own life. A few months ago, Ruth and I started going to the gym together again, and I go to work out with her and be inspired by her because she's much more tougher than me and stronger than me, and so she definitely, I was like, you got to be my coach and keep me going because I can, I can be a grumbler. Um, I, I, I can, and so, so I, I rely on that, again, community aspect, support system to keep going, and th- this has been an off and on thing over the years, um, and especially as Ruth has gone on her own journey, it's been fun to just listen to her as her mindset has changed. I was really encouraged that she was able to share some of that story uh, at the ladies' retreat that she went to a couple weeks ago, and I just, I just very inspired by it, and just the journey that has it relates to fitness overall, and her journey has influenced me at different ways at different times. So. Do other people's stories as we can get inspired for a moment, um, and then we kind of lose that maybe motivation over time. 
But what's interesting is no matter how frequently or infrequently I go, I always have this nagging pain in my left shoulder that persists. It'd be one thing if it was just general pain that like came from working out and I'm sore because it's been a while and we can be like, suck it up, buttercup. Like, let's, <laughs> let's go, like push through. Um, I know none of you are that cynical or mean or, you know, anything like that. But I just, I, I have this pain and it was come from an injury in, in college. It was actually a weightlifting accident where, where I tore the pectoral muscle off my shoulder um, and it was pretty graphic, um, and I'll just, I'll, I'll stop there. Um, and I, I tore it, I had surgery, and it's just always been pain that is, is around. And the reason there's pain is because I never really did the rehab well. I, I didn't do what the doctor suggested I sh- should do. And part of that was my own pride, thought if I just got back in, working out, doing all the things that I could come up with to do, that I would be all right. But there was this other part of me that I was actually at a trip that summer to go to Kenya and dig wells, and I was concerned that if I took the time to rehab the way the doctors prescribed, I actually wouldn't be strong enough to go on that trip and therefore would have to forego all the trip. And I was like, like I'm doing this for God. I'm supposed to do this incredible trip. I'm digging wells for people. Like I, I, This was like the premier thing, and I was going to feel really good about myself. And so I forego, and I didn't do the rehab the way I was supposed to because I thought I could just bounce back. So mix some pride with wanting to do something for God and others actually has kept a wound from healing correctly today. If we fail to deal with the wounds in our souls, mixed motivations and all, then our ability to love well both God and others will be plagued by the inconsistency of love between our dreams and our practice. If we can't come to terms with some of our pride and even some of our good aspirations about how that robs us and keeps us from dealing with the pain and the actual recovery and rehab that's needed to receive love and give it, we will always attempt to live loved out of a faulty picture in our head than do it in practice in our everyday life. And in doing so, we'll feel overwhelmed, overburdened, and overcome. And some of you today may be feeling some of that. Overwhelmed, overburdened, and overcome. And these really are symptoms of the inconsistencies between our inner world and our outer worlds. The picture we have of love and the way things should be and the way reality is. And we search for ways to cope with that inconsistency, both within ourselves and within the world we live. But when we begin to deal with the wounds and we begin to step out of denial and into a desire to change the inconsistencies in our lives, we start to experience something that we're not always ready to deal with. Because we have to begin to deal with ourselves. 
how we see ourselves and if we're prepared to deal with that honestly. And last week, Ryan took us through the first part or one of the first focal words of the Shema, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And the Shema begins to approach this refrain with this people of God, Moses giving these final words as his people are about to enter into a new place that we have to actually deal with our inner world. And as we begin to deal with our inner world, then how we respond to that change, how we respond to becoming more consistent there, attached, rooted in the identity that God gives us, then other aspects of our lives start to follow. But we have to receive that love and internalize that truth and live in perpetual response to that truth. And we can't do that by sheer willpower because our own wills at times are at war with ourselves. It doesn't matter how many more times I go back to working out, how many more times I maybe want to do one more rep if my body can't physically do one more rep. Even within ourselves, there exists some sort of incongruity. So despite our will, we can't keep going. But the call and the invitation is to learn and respond to the love that God has for us, to love him in return so that then we can love well in the world in which we find ourselves, thus loving ourselves and others. But our natural state and our wounds act as barriers to keep us from really loving God with our whole being, heart, soul, and strength. And so we continue to look at these key words. I said it a moment ago, but let me say it again, just to set the scene, the backdrop of how these words are approached to the people of God. They've been rescued out of slavery in Egypt, and they've wandered the wilderness because of their own grumbling and complaining and their failure to trust God at his first invitation to enter the promised land and trust his promises. So now, here they are again, and Moses is not able to go into this new place with them. So he gives them a series of speeches, words of just encouragement, exhortation, and really just reminder to say, you know this to be true about God, but you need to hear it again because you're forgetful. And as you step into this new place, there are going to be all kinds of words and voices that want to say something different than the promises of God. They're going to sound like promises. They're going to sound good. They're going to even seem like good ways to live, but they will always be lesser. And so he gives them this series of speeches. And and in the middle of one of those speeches, he gives them this refrain, this prayer that they are supposed to say morning and evening to remind them at the start of the day and at the end of the day. And it says, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, Yahweh, he is one. He is the Lord, meaning supreme ruler in control, unique amongst every other God. Any other could be or would be or foe gods. And you are to then love him 
Respond to who he is with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength. Now, just quick recap. To love God means to know him and respond. This might include listening, time with, as you would any relationship. As you weigh choices, considering what he might want And that involves getting to know. There's a relational component, just as you would any relationship. And then considering what you do or what you would say as you live your life, your thought is based on my relationship with God, how might I then act? Or what might I say? Or what measure of self-control might I employ because I'm influenced by my relationship? With Yahweh. And sometimes that becomes very tricky because we wonder, well, so what does God sound like? God sounds like what he wrote, what he revealed himself to be in his word. So when in the following verses, Deuteronomy 6, and then you get to 6 through 9, when it talks about write these words everywhere, talk about them, It's to submit in our own minds, in our own hearts, who God is by what he said and who he has revealed himself to be. And we know that as we get to know and read God's word and engage it. We have to retrain sometimes who we think God to be or maybe who we want God to be in our dreams and get to a place where we actually engage with who he has revealed himself to be through his word, because God sounds like what he wrote. And through this, the work begins in the heart or the will. And it begins to change us from the inside out when we come to terms that we can't earn God's favor or approval, but learn to live and embrace in response to that truth. See, the Israelites on the verge of the promised land, they had been rescued from slavery and given a place of promise and rest. That was, that was something that was needed. There, there was a security and a significance that they were given. Say it, in, say it another way, they, they were given an identity. Yeah. There, there was something that could not be taken away no matter circumstances. And wouldn't it be nice, no matter what sort of conversations, how your job's going, how your kids treat you, what maybe even just your relationship with your parents are like, is that you are on solid footing on, and have a security, not by yourself because of who you've told yourself to be, but because of who God says you are. And that allows you to stand and be secure. So now with that truth, with understanding that that's how God has moved towards the Israelite people, they can now prepare to withstand all kinds of lesser ways of living because they're to represent God in a new place because not everyone had engaged with God in this way. There's a divine calling. There's a, there's a place of representative that's given to them. And so they need to be reminded of that morning and evening. And so too do we. Amen. Oftentimes we forget who we are. And you say this just sometimes you go, maybe you blow up on someone and you go, man, that wasn't me. Or you even you feel a little off in the morning. Sometimes you go, I just don't quite feel like myself. That's an inconsistency that we naturally feel as we go through our life. And sometimes as you progress through life, 
you wake up and go, I think I slept wrong because my back hurt a little weird, and I didn't do nothing. I didn't go to the gym. I didn't work out. I just slept wrong, and now I'm hurting a little bit. And we wonder, what changed? And it's just the patterns and seasons of life. And so sometimes those moments of hurt and pain, we can say, well, what have I done wrong or have I, have I, and we can start to heap on ourselves because we think that allows us to feel better about ourselves. And if we punish ourselves, then, you know, others will say good things about us and then we'll feel better. And what happens is that doesn't, people can't say enough good things to fill the cup in your soul. And it's only from living from a place of remembering who God is, thus who we are, can we then live. So then when this command comes out, to say, okay, now love God with your inner being and love God with your soul, it starts to push us in ways that challenge our notion oftentimes of reality because we have a faulty understanding of this word soul. I may, let me just, I guess I'll just ask it this way. When you hear that word soul, what's that picture in your mind? Sometimes it can be like a ghost in a machine or like your body is this container and your soul is something within it. And then once the body dies, like the soul escapes and like and goes to heaven. And we've been communicated with that. That's actually a Greek understanding of the word soul. So when the soul word is used here in Deuteronomy 6, that's not what the Israelites heard and understood. We, we've got this notion that our body, though it is frail and decaying, and we can feel that at times, and there's pain in different circumstances and issues, that it's distinct or different from our soul. That some people assume that the soul survives the body apart from death. But let me say this again, that people are not simply containers for something non-physical to be released at death. The word here for soul is nefesh. And it's important, and let me say it a different way. People don't have a soul. They are a soul. People don't have a nefesh. They are a nefesh meaning your body is a part of what constitutes your soul. Your personhood includes your body. Let me consider those implications for a moment. It means that the people of God need a robust theology of body, how we treat it and what we do to it and how we use it. That our body is not something to be tolerated or seen as an inconvenience, but a unique gift given to you by God. For some of you, you're like, praise be to Jesus. I needed to hear that because I've been told that I should change my body, that something's wrong with my body, and therefore something is inherently wrong with me. And what's amazing is when we see it as something not simply to be tolerated, but a gift as a part of who we are, 
we can begin to appreciate and be grateful for it in a different way. Nefesh, this word, is also the word for throat. What comes through your throat? Voice, air, it's how you eat, it's how you drink, it's nourishment. So what's being conveyed here in another type of imagery in the way that Hebrews use language is that as we are a soul, and we, we, we are what constitutes that, it's also the imagery that's how we receive nourishment. It's what we need to survive. Psalm 42 says it like this, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when can I go to meet with God? Nefesh in the Old Testament begins to serve as a metaphor for your whole physical being. For your, for your mind, for your heart as it's expressed, for your will, desires, your soul. And it starts to, you start to realize that your body and your space interacts with other people and other things. And what happens is to love God with your soul means to devote your whole physical existence to your creator. Both the capabilities and the limitations. Capabilities and limitations. You are one person in a finite space. You can't be everywhere all at once. And that is something not to be spiteful of, but to be appreciative of. And to rest and be precisely where God has you. And in fact, the Apostle Paul picks up this imagery in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says it this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, your limitations and your capabilities are mercies of God. Therefore, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And he's building on this thought. It's an outcome of Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, which essentially says that, that Jesus stepped out of heaven, came to earth, and we are saved by his life. Cleansed by his death and proved powerful by his resurrection. And it's so important to see that this life, that we were saved by Jesus' living the perfect life that we cannot live, the inconsistencies we feel, not to be intimidated by it or fearful of it or overcome or overwhelmed by it, but trust the reality that there was someone who was consistent in every area of life, so much so that gave up his own body for us, the truest expression of love. And we begin to love God with our souls, with our whole essence, by responding to that reality. This is where the Jesus' life is good news for you. That though our body is decaying, that though we forget things. Anybody got a poor memory and just like something go in one ear out the other? And it's like there are limitations in that reality. 
Well, praise be to Jesus that because of his resurrection, because of his perfect life, we actually have the promise of a new body that will not decay. That's where the power of the resurrection comes in, is we don't have to hope to be perfect now, but we have a hope of Christ being perfect, his perfection being living for us. Therefore, we can respond to that and progress and become more consistent over life with the hope of a perfect eternal body with him on this earth when the new heavens and new earth are created. Because there will be things that we cannot do. You're not going to be able to travel everywhere. You're not going to be able to have 65 jobs. You're not going to be able to be a doctor and a lawyer and a perfect parent and a, like fill in the blank. There's limitations in terms of our both vocation and our presence. And what happens is when we begin to see ourselves fully constituted, loved by God precisely where we're and can remind ourselves of that and then remind others of that truth, the freakout level starts to come down. (laughs) We start to have a little bit more peace because the presence of Jesus is present with us where our feet are, where our body is. And then we can also have the hope of continuing continuing to progress forward. Progress over perfection is one of our values. And we don't just say progress like in in sort of an empty way, but it's progress towards maturity in Christ. It's becoming like him in every aspect of our life. So when we start to love God with our whole souls, we start to open up different areas to our life. Financial. And we start to think of body. That means vocation. What you do for work, how you work matters. It starts to do with with, um, just your movement. Maybe even what you eat. Because you start to care for your soul in a different way. How you interact with others. Maybe stepping out of isolation and beginning to enter a relationship because our souls were not meant to be in isolation. God is a God of community, therefore we are to be people in community. And so it starts to stretch you in ways that maybe you've put a barrier up to protect a wound. Maybe you think it's best for your soul to just not go there. But what you do, whether out of pride or pure ambition or maybe even noble moments, is you actually rob yourself of true healing. You rob yourself of encountering a God who provides both in moments of good, but also moments of weakness, who fills the gaps that you can't fill yourself. It's like the guy who there's a crack in the dam or there's a hole and he sticks a finger in and then there's another one and sticks another one. Soon you run out of fingers, but it's a whole lot different when you've got a community of people who are also able to stick fingers in there with you to help you hold up the wall. And you have people who are learning to do that, not because they're right or good, but because they stand in a community that reminds themselves that their life is not their own, their life was lived out in the perfection of Jesus. And Jesus' perfection allows us to stand with others, to give up our lives for others. So to love God with your whole soul means to both open it, to step into a place of healing and receive, but also at a place to give. 
which means that you may have to repattern some bad habits. This is where God invites us on a journey to not just do life out of obligation to God or to fill some sort of standard, but to be life with God. It's like two pedals on a bicycle. It's like he provides the bike, even puts us on the bike in terms of salvation because of who Jesus is and what he does. And he said, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push one pedal forward, but I'm inviting you to push the next one forward as well. That's that progress over perfection because we know the perfection that our identity is received in Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. And now we get to participate in that reality where we find ourselves, where our souls exist within this world. Because we have confidence that no matter what happens to our souls within this world, that there will be a day when they will be fully restored. That we're able to live not without hope, but with hope. Which allows us when there are moments of difficulty, loss and grief and sadness, we actually don't have to run from them. We don't have to put on a smiling face. We can call it is what it is and hope in the midst of that that while this world decays, while things will pass away, while we can't be everything, anywhere, all at once, that we can actually be fully present in both the joy and the sorrow. That we can appreciate and be grateful for what we have while we have it. And to begin to repattern our lives, because even as I say that, some of you are like, I, I want that to be true. I, I I like maybe even the way that sounds. That sounds difficult, but I want, and it means we got to start to in, go on a journey of change. We have to start to identify what areas have we reserved or sectioned off. What do we want to change? And be a little more honest with ourselves about why do we want to change it? Because if I tell you you need to change it, that won't really do the trick. That won't last very long. And pretty soon you'll look for another church or do something because you feel guilty or you feel condemned. And again, I, I, can, I, can, I want you to experience life change. I want you to experience all that God has for you. But what happens is when you open yourself to God, he provides the power that when Kyle's not around or your spouse is not around or your friend who you go to for advice is not maybe around in that moment that gives you the power to be sustained and live to remember your identity and who that is so understanding why do you want to change and hopefully it's because you have first been loved by God that is the staying power and then beginning to understand how change happens we know that some change, some moments can happen instantaneously. But sometimes it takes a while. It takes going through it again and again, hearing the words. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and all your strength. 
remembering who God is and what he has done morning and night, knowing that that repetition, good, healthy repetition, being connected to others who are able to bring out those truths and share that truth, who aren't going to say things that are inconsistent with who God has revealed himself to be, that we start to become enmeshed and attached to the one true and living God. And we lessen our attachment to things that are ultimately can't quench our thirst, can't fill our cup, can't fill us up. See, it's the practice of love in community that actually makes us whole rather than fractures us. It's a risk that I invite you to. First and foremost, it's a risk that I invite you to take with God, to practice a response to God's love, not to earn his favor or approval, but because he has first moved towards you in Jesus. And so Moses gives this refrain to the Israelites so that they are reminded as the seasons come and go, as the generations pass, that there was a God who provided, who rescued, who moved towards them. Every week, we wrap up our time together with a prayer. I want to go ahead and bring that prayer up. And I'll, I'll invite you to say this, but, but before we say it, I just want you to scan over those words real quick. Now, Grammar was not my strong suit in school, but I, I picked up a few things over time. What is not used throughout that prayer, and it's intentional, is personalizing it. There's no eyes, there's no me's, it's you. I don't know if you've caught on to this, but when we pray that prayer at the end of our gathering, you're not praying that for yourself. You're praying that for others here. And they are praying that for you. See, the prayer begins to move us to a place to love God with our essence and our being is that the words we say, the response of our bodies is not simply, God, I need you in my life. I'm trusting you to move towards those in my life. Most of our prayers tend to be personal, but this prayer is communal. So as you think through those words, maybe you're ready to pray that with us together for others. But maybe you're also not quite ready to love God in that way by praying this type of prayer. And that's okay too. But we hope that over time, together, that as we practice love for God, that you receive love so that then you can start to pray that. Not because it's something we do on a Sunday, but it's because something you're glad to do, to pray and bless others. And so I'm going to start, and maybe you pray that, 
Maybe you just sit there with your eyes closed and you just listen. What's beautiful and what I hope is that we are to love God with our whole souls because he has first loved us and now we can love others. So this prayer is a prayer of love and of faith and of mission for others. So let's pray this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Through this reality, may you live your faith every day, everywhere. May God's family expand and grow. May your motivation be because of Jesus living out his story. May you wake his ways be known and then live for generations to come. Amen. Thank you for gathering with us. Have a fantastic week.